case you haven't been with us, the little book of Philemon, the background to this is this. Uh, Best we understand, Paul led Philemon to the Lord, uh, discipled him. Philemon became a leader in the church there at Colossae, uh, which is in Asia Minor or Turkey today. Philemon had a slave who ran away. His name was Onesimus. Uh, By the providence of God, he ends up in Rome where Paul is under house arrest. And God in his greatness uh, brings them together. Paul shares the gospel. Onesimus gets saved. Life is changed. He begins to serve the Lord by serving Paul there. But Paul knows that there's this broken relationship with now a brother in Christ back in Colossae. So he writes the book of Colossians and this little letter to Philemon and sends it with Onesimus and another man back to try to seek reconciliation. The heart of the book Uh, after you get past kind of the greetings and all that, it's verse 8. And Paul says, therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you. So Paul is going to make an appeal here. And, And as we've been looking at, there's really four thoughts that he begins to weave together. You know, so often in Paul's writing, he's very... Uh, linear in his, his writing, and he builds, but not here. It's, it's a very personal letter. So it starts with the idea of love. Love, Philemon, what I'm asking you to do is for your best. That's why I'm not ordering you to do it. I want this to change your heart. So I appeal to you in love. Last week, we looked at the idea of reconciliation. Verse 12, I am sending Onesimus back to you. Try to make this right. Reconciliation is a huge piece. Today, we're going to talk about acceptance. And then next week, we're going to talk about forgiveness. And they're all, again, interrelated, but they're all so important. I thought it was important important we would take a Sunday for each one of them. So today we're focused on verses 15 to 17. So if you'll read along while I read it out loud, that would be great. Verse 15, for perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while that you would have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would accept me. Now, before we get into the heart of what the appeal is here, I don't want to skip over verse 15, because this to me is really interesting. Paul says, for perhaps, perhaps, what a unique word. Perhaps, perhaps God has been doing something behind the scenes here, Onesimus. For those of us who have known Jesus for a while and we've walked with him, I think we probably have all experienced this, haven't we? Where we're going through a tough time, we're going through a trial, life kind of begins to blow up. 
And in the midst of the storm, you're sitting there going, man, how is any of this redeemable, right? How could God, you know, who's promised that I work, will work all things for the good of those that love me, how can this work out to the good? How can something positive come out of this? And then God walks us through it, and then we get on the backside of it, and so often we look back, and what we see is that God was doing something completely in a sense, almost unrelated, but it was parallel to it. And then we go, wow, look at what God was doing. I mean, I remember for, for, for me, many of you know my story uh, that my my first wife passed away in childbirth, so I move out here to Arizona. I've got this little boy, and uh, then I met Tammy, and uh, man, we were going to get married quick. I mean, we were like five, six weeks, right? Um, better to marry than to burn. But anyway, uh, so we were going to get married really quick, and then some things happened and we couldn't get married. And, and we'd already decided Tammy was going to quit teaching and whatever. And, uh, and it was such a frustrating thing why we couldn't get married when we wanted to get married. And it was just, ah, but we just really sensed that was God's plan. And so she went ahead and quit teaching and started watching Jamie and I told you this story. We were at my folks' house because I was living with them. And uh, we were all having, we'd had dinner together and we're sitting and talking. And little Jamie's in the other room playing. And all of a sudden we hear the cries. You know, something happened. And I don't remember what it was. And he comes running and he runs past me, which was a shock to no one. (laughs) But he ran past his grandpa and his grandma And he ran to Tammy. And as she's there consoling him, the three of us are going, I never thought about this. God has already bonded them as mom and son even before we're... We're so focused on why we couldn't get married in the first century. It had nothing to do with that. But God was at work. And and I think that's what Paul's trying to say here. Perhaps... Perhaps, you know, we may not know this side of heaven, but perhaps you, you've had to go through this, you know, your slave has left and all this. Because he would have never come to faith in Christ there, but here, perhaps. Folks, I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know how bleak it might look to you today. But can I just under, remind you, somebody called this the glimpse of heaven. Perhaps God's doing something great, God's doing something powerful that you just can't even see right now. Just walk with him, trust him. Uh, Because so often, and and it may not be till we get home, but I think we're going to be surprised when we look back and we see all the things. So, So there's that. We get to verse 17, we finally have the ask, the appeal. If then you regard me as a partner. Now, again, in our language, that's almost like a A conditional if. But in the Greek, it's not. The whole idea here is Paul knows, I know where I stand with you. I know you consider me a partner. So here's the appeal. Here's the ask. Accept him as you would me. That's the ask. Accept him as you would accept me. And man, you begin to think about that for a moment. I mean... Here's Paul. Paul, who is an apostle. Now, 
we don't live with the apostles, and so that, that, the, the significance of that sometimes was lost on us. Paul had seen Jesus with his own eyes. Paul had been commissioned by Jesus directly to go and build his church. Paul was the one who led the expansion of the church out of the land of Israel to the greater known world. Paul was the one that had even led Philemon. You think about it from Philemon's perspective. It was Philemon's father in the faith. He's the one who led him to Jesus. He's the one who discipled him. So even if to nobody else, Paul would have held this great status of privilege with Philemon. My sense is he probably did with everybody at that time who had never even met him. Everybody knew about Paul. But Philemon... Philemon knew him. Philemon had, and so, so Paul's point here is, you would accept me. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to accept Onesimus like he were me. Now Onesimus, the opposite side, right? He's a, he's a slave. If you study history back at this time, I mean, slaves in the Roman world during that first century had no rights. They were considered property. In fact, when people died in their will, they, they actually passed down slaves. I mean, this is, this is how it was. So there was, there was nothing special. There was nothing unique. Beyond that, Onesimus wasn't just a slave. He was a runaway. Uh, he was an illegal he was a fugitive. And I don't want to get into next Sunday sermon yet, but look ahead at verse 18. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, most Bible scholars believe what's going on there is that Paul knew, everybody knew that Onesimus, when he ran away, like any other slave that was going to run away from their master, probably stole so that he could fund his, his getaway. And Paul says this, I want you to accept him just like you would accept me. Now that word accept literally means to take to oneself. To take to oneself. Now what do we mean by that? Thayer, who's got a Bible dictionary that most people are familiar with, breaks it down like this. The idea to take to oneself is to take as one's companion. You're talking friendship. To take by the hand, to lead aside, to guide, to, to protect. To take or receive into one's home. And with that, there's that idea of implied idea of kindness that you would love on them. To receive, which means literally to grant access to your heart. This is what I want you to do. For, for Onesimus, I know you would do this for me. I know you have done this for me. I want you to do this for Onesimus. Is the gravity of that sinking into your soul? I mean, how counterculture? We call this, this series radical. Do you know what the pressure would have been on in that day for Onesimus or for Philemon who had had a runaway slave to come back and now treat him with that kind of dignity and respect? Do you know the pressure that would have been on from the other slaveholders? You're honoring him instead of disciplining him. Paul says, this is my appeal. 
The interesting thing, as you think about it, is this idea, will you accept him as you accept me? Isn't that completely consistent with what Jesus had told us? Right? He's asked, what's the greatest commandment? Well, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second commandment is similar. You will love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two things hang all the law. You can boil it down to these two. Love God, love, love your neighbor. It all hangs. And then you think about the context of when Jesus even said that. Love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting from Leviticus. And the question comes, well, who's my neighbor, right? Who's my neighbor? Jesus tells a story. We call the story the story of the good Samaritan. Well, Samaritan is about bigotry. It's about racism. Remember? The Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. The Samaritans had no dealings with the Jews. I mean, that's kind of the heart of the story. There was this racial divide, and if you don't understand the history, when Assyria had conquered the ten northern tribes, they moved a lot of the people out. They brought other people in. So there was all this crossbreeding, and they weren't considered fully Jews, and they didn't worship at the same place, and you know their, their theology got all messed up, and they just had nothing to do. And when Jesus answers the question, "Love your neighbor as yourself," well, who's your neighbor? He reaches into this story, this cultural picture of racism and bigotry and hatred. And he said, that's your neighbor. That's what I'm telling you to do. Love your neighbors yourself. Now, the question is, is this just uh, an idea that Jesus floated out that Paul's now jumping on? And, And the answer is absolutely not. You see... Biblically, the foundation for equality, the, the foundation of, of worth that all men have is found in the biblical side of creation. And if you've never thought about it, I want to just take you back and do a really quick understanding. So when we look at creation, what we understand, the very foundation of creation is that when God created man, he created man. And by the way, that's all people, mankind, that's not a gender specific, all right? Let's just, man, you got to choose your words carefully these days. It's people. When God created people, he created us in his image. Verse 27, this is the heart of the, of the creation story. God created man in his own image. In his own image, he created them. Now, what does that mean? Well, we don't really have time to go into all of it. I will tell you, though, At this heart, what it means is that you and I are different. We're unique. We're not like the rest of creation. We are more important. We are more value and worth than the animals. We are more important and more value than the the stars and the heaven and the moon and the sun. The Bible says we're even more important than the angels. Because we were created to be the image bearers of our God. We were the ones that were to reflect him, to know him, to have relationship with him. And therefore, every single person has worth and value. 
It does not matter where you were married or where you were born. It does not matter what your native tongue is. It does not matter the, the pigmentation of your skin. You matter. You are a human. You are created in the image of God. And as his image bearer, you have worth and value. Not only that, then the Bible reminds us, oh, not only do you have worth and value because you're creating the image of your God, you have worth and value because you're brothers, right? Every person descended from Adam. You know, today people get into this ancestry, you know, stuff. They go back, ancestry.com. My sister started getting into it, wanting to find out where we're from. I told her, I said, Dad always said we're just like Heinz 57, right? And she got into it, and she found out that's true, that if we were like a dog, our, our, our type would be mutt, right? We just got a lot. But a lot of people get into it. Where are we from? Well, here's the thing, folks. If you go back far enough, you're going to run into Adam. In fact, quite honestly, there's two funnels there. You're going to run into Noah, right? Because God, God actually killed everybody and started again with Noah. We all go, we are of the same blood, we are brothers, we are sisters, we are, we are cousins, we are family. We, we come from the same place. Every single person has worth and has value. And that is the very basis of the biblical idea of creation that all human life has value. And so you think about how as, as the gospel has gone forth, that's why we stand against abortion. Because babies even in the womb have worth and value. Why? Because they're created in the image of God. They are brothers and sisters. That's why we stand against euthanasia and, and all of that you know, for those that are sick and infirmed and old and all of that. No, every life has value. That's why we stand against racism. It's why we stand against bigotry. Because every single person has worth and has value. The problem is sin came in. And when sin came in, it corrupted our hearts. And what it brought was selfishness. I want it to be about me. I want to get ahead. I, I want to be special. And so often how we find it is we put down somebody else to lift us up. And it creates hatred and it creates bigotry and it does all this. I mean, you see it with Cain and Abel, right? They present their offerings to God. Abel's is accepted. Cain isn't. And so Cain gets mad. He's jealous. Selfishness. He kills his brother. And then God judges him, and he's going to be a wanderer. But now he's concerned because now he, he feels like he's going to be the hunted. The people are going to be against him. All, all this stuff begins to happen. And if you've never studied the book of Genesis, to look at the fallout of the sin in our heart and the selfishness, it's incredible. You know the first group that starts getting dominated, getting put down, is women. Because next thing you know, there's polygamy. Instead of just one-on-one -on -one cleave and all of this, there's polygamy. And then there's rape. And then you have slavery. And you get into Joseph. And we begin to see this thing of slavery. Then you get into nationalism. 
And you have Egypt, and just because you, you, know, you weren't born inside of you know, these borders or imaginary lines, and we're going to conquer you, we're better than you. And Daniel plays it all out from Egypt to Babylon to Medes and the Persians to the Greeks to the Romans, and, and it's this domination. And in the midst of all of this, there's also the economic despair, that we look down on the poor, we, we, we trifle with the poor, the widows, and it creates this huge, huge peace. It comes from sin, the selfishness of our heart. But I want to tell you, there's another peace. It's not just from us. There's also an enemy. There's an enemy out there who hates us because we are created in the image of God. It's the devil. And he tries to sow discord. He tries to get us to attack one another. He tries to get us to dominate one another. That's what he does. Back in John chapter 8, Jesus says, you're your father, the devil, and you want to know the desires of your father. And he was a murderer from the beginning. That's what he does. And what's interesting in this passage, if you even look at this, the Jews had just said, in arguing with Jesus, but we're Jews. And everybody else is less than us. And then they said to Jesus, but you are illegitimate in your birth. Again, Casting aspersions upon him that his mother was not married when he was conceived. And then finally, they end up and they accuse him of being a Samaritan. You understand what's going on? There's an enemy involved here. In fact, later on in John 10, Jesus says, The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's what Satan does. And so we've got our sinful heart, but we also have an enemy that tries to gin this up. And whatever it can, can get, and whether it's economic, or whether it's, it's racial, or whether it's ethnic, or whatever it is, to get us to look down upon other, our fallenness is at the root of all prejudice and bigotry. Because this was not God's plan. This is not God's design. And so what's so beautiful is that what we see is that the solution that God now has provided is found in, in the cross. I mean, you think about Jesus. And he came in and he lived in a time and an era where culturally it wasn't based upon skin color. But the prejudice was based upon Male and femaleness. Females were very dominated in his day. Uh, it was Jew versus the Samaritans and the Greeks and the Romans and all of this, the, the Gentiles, right? Jesus came into this world, and what did he do? Well, number one, he modeled. Man, he reached out to women. He, uh, he went across the Sea of Galilee to the area where the Greeks were. That's why there's pigs there, by the way. Have you ever wondered that? You can't have pigs, and yet all the demons from the Gadarenes that went into the pigs. Well, that's the Greek side. He went there to minister to them. He went to Samaria. But the beauty of it is, it culminates in the cross. Because when Jesus goes to the cross, he dies for everyone. Not just for the Jews, not for the Jews and the Greeks and leaves out the barbarians, not just for those that are born in the land of Israel. He died for every single person. Why? Because every single person has worth and value to him. I mean, think of John 3, 16. For God so loved the world 
That's why he gave his only begotten son that whoever, anyone, believes in him. I love 1 John 2 too. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not only ours but also those of the whole world. Folk, this isn't even a Christian, non-Christian thing. Everyone has worth and value to him. Paul puts it like this in 1 Timothy 4. For it is this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men. So, the solution is found in the gospel. And now you begin to see it play out. So Jesus dies for all men so that all can be saved. And by the way, if you're here today, I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you were born. I don't care the color of your skin. I don't care how much money you have in your bank account or you don't have in your bank account. It doesn't matter. Jesus died for you. And if you'll put your faith and trust in him, you will be saved. That is the power of the gospel. And then as Jesus ascends to heaven, what does he tell us? He tells us to take that message where? Everywhere. Go preach the gospel to every nation. Why? Because every nation, those people have worth and value. Jesus stands on the hill before a Mount of Olives before he ascends and he says, You will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. Every life, every person matters. It counts. And then you, you, you kind of get a glimpse of heaven. And what we see in heaven is we see this place where there is no bigotry, right? There is no racism. There, there, there is no uh, rich and poor, Jew and Gentile. It just, it's, we're all there. I, I love this passage in Revelation 5. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book, to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. Folks, that's what, that's what heaven is going to be like. Because every single person has worth and value. And then, in the midst of all of this, he establishes the church. And the church is to be this place of acceptance. It's to be this place of love. It is to be this place of equality. Where we come, whether we're Jew or Gentile. Where we come, whether we're rich or poor. Where we come, no matter what the pigmentation of our skin color is. And we all are loved and we're accepted. In fact, Galatians, Paul puts it like this, and it's so powerful. He says, there's neither Jew nor Greek. Now, folks, we today in our culture, you know, we, we can't really caught up on this black-white thing. And out here, maybe to another extent, the, the black Hispanic or the, the white Hispanic piece. Folk, the division is nowhere close to the division of Jew and Gentile, of Jesus' day. And what Paul is saying, that not only are we created in the image of God, not only are we all brothers and sisters going back to the same parents, ultimately. But you and I now are even in a greater identity, and that identity is in Christ. And in Christ, there is no Jew. There is no Gentile. There is no slave. There is no free. There's not even male and female. We are all one in Christ. 
And that's how we're to live. Now, sadly, the church isn't perfect in this and hasn't been perfect in this. And you know why? Because we're not perfect, right? We're flawed. And the church takes a lot of abuse here. And I I want to be really cautious because I love the church. And I'm talking big C church, right? And I want to be fair because historically, if you look at where the church has flourished in time, the domination of other people that have typically been in cultures like slavery, like child brides, like polygamy, uh, they do tend to go away. And historically, that is true. We've seen it in Europe. We saw it in America. We're seeing it even now in Africa. All right? That's the trend. But the reality is, is the church has still failed. It has sometimes been complicit. And oftentimes it has been enabling to these these terrible things. And we have to understand that. And we've also got to understand that we can't go back and change yesterday. I mean, I've never met anybody in America that wouldn't go back and change the first hundred years of our history to live within the what our constitution actually said, right? But we can't. We're here today. So here's my appeal. And my appeal is simply this, that you and I today have the ability, we have the calling, we have the opportunity to love, to accept, to honor, to prefer as every person has value. Every person has worth. We may not be able to change America, but I think we can make a change here in Goodyear. The way that we love one another. To be that place where where it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you're dressed like. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter where you go to school. It doesn't matter what your native tongue is. It doesn't matter the the pigmentation of your skin. This is a place where we love. This is a place like Jesus that we are intentional to reach across to people that are not always like us. To get to know them. Remember, accept me. What does that mean? To come alongside, to let them into your heart. To become a companion of. To be intentional. To live the gospel out. We can make a difference. We could be the shining light to a community that is being torn apart. And sadly, these divisions are getting stronger and more... They're getting more hateful and problematic. And it cannot be named among us. Every single person is a person of worth and value. We are all brothers and sisters historically, but now in Christ, we are truly brothers and sisters. And so my question was, Steve, how are you going to end this thing? And I believe God put a verse on my heart that I wanted to end today with, and it's this. It's Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good work and glorify your fathers in heaven. Our culture tells us, now, let's go our own way, right? 
I mean, you even look at it in churches. We have white churches. We have Hispanic churches. We have black churches. We have Chinese churches. We have Korean churches. No. No. Let your light shine. We've got to love each other. We've got to accept one another. That's Paul's whole point. Philemon, accept Onesimus like you would accept me. Let him close to your heart. Let him be a companion. Take him by the hand and guide him. That's what we've got to do. And the beautiful thing is we got the opportunity. We have the power. We have the Holy Spirit. We can have the conversations We can do this, and we can see our community change with the power of the gospel.